Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Investing gets hard, it gets emotional, and... I'm always looking for answers here on the Retire Sooner podcast to figure out better ways to figure out how to be a better investor. And we never have the silver bullet or the exact answer, but we're always trying to get closer and closer to that. And since it is Valentine's Day, this is something near and dear to my heart. And don't think of me as heartless, but today we're going to talk about one of the fixes to make investing just a little bit easier. At least this is in my opinion, and that's this. Falling in love with dividends. Dividend investing is one of the few things that I think makes investing easier. And I'm going to go through this. We're going to talk today, one, about what I think is the primary thing that helps me stay invested and stay on track for the Retire Sooner journey that hopefully we're all on if you're listening here to the Retire Sooner podcast. We'll talk about a brand new wealth survey here in the United States from Charles Schwab. So what does it take to be rich in America? What does it take to be considered, quote, wealthy? And we're gonna go through some wealth statistics as well. And then why you can fall in love with dividends. You don't have to, again, you don't have to do this. But I think that if we can go back and look at history, it's a really compelling case that dividends should at least be part of your overall strategy. And why I have been so focused on that for really the better part of my career in the investment industry, which is now about 25 years, only a couple of years here on the Retire Sooner podcast, but a lot of years here trying to make investing easier for all of us. By the way, producer Mallory here on this Valentine's Day. Hello, thank you for having me. So if you're listening to this podcast, it's likely right before Valentine's Day. So this is a really easy Valentine's Day theme because I do love dividends and we want to talk about that. And we're going to go back to, again, an updated version of looking at stock dividends versus bond interest over the last several decades. How do we end up? And I also wanted to bring in producer Mallory, who, by the way, was her idea to do something around falling in love because this is... This is right up your alley. Oh, I, I love Valentine's Day. It's one of my favorite holidays. Really? It is, well, my birthday is the 13th, so I've always been a Valentine's Day baby. Mm. My favorite color is red. My mom used to like make like bake a heart-shaped cake for me. Really? So oh, you, yeah. So you grew up with Valentine. I love for... This Valentine's. loving holiday. Yeah, and I think I think it's a great excuse to uh, to talk about things that we love. And and listen, here, retire sooner. I know how much you love dividend investing. Yeah, I do. So this is not a stretch for me. 
I was in CVS today and they had the they had the full the the full cheesy Valentine spread out. Well, you have to have that. Look, they had pink bottles of champagne and pink boxes of candy and pink cards all set up at the door, which was a great reminder that it's coming up. The holidays coming up. So here's another reminder and I I think back about the difficult years of investing. 2022 was one of those years. S&P 500 was down almost 20%, the Nasdaq was down around 30%. It was a it was a tough year for a lot of investors. It wasn't that bad of a year for dividend investors. So dividend stocks held up really well. Again, one argument that you can point to, but that's not the reason that I have fallen in love with dividends. One of the reasons I, I, I think it's such an important concept to really understand cash flow from companies is because one, the further we get into our retire sooner journey, the more money we save, a lot of times the harder it gets because now we're dealing with not 50,000 in investments, not a hundred, not 500, but a million dollars or 2 million or 5 million, depending on what works for you. And you get this concept, I think of it as the law of large numbers. One percentage point on a bigger number starts to feel emotionally more difficult to handle. Meaning that I have a, I'm down, let's say my portfolio on $10,000 is down 1%. It doesn't feel like an awful lot of money. But if it's on $5 million, now we're talking about 50 grand. Oh my gosh. And that can happen in any given day. In fact, it can be much larger swings than that in any given day. And that can take a toll. Oh, and that's like, I mean, because that's essentially a, a salary, right? And to, so to have that change in a day. Exactly. You think about, let's say you're 60 and you've saved all this money for all these years and you have a portfolio that's gotten quite large. Any given day in even a balanced portfolio could move easily 1%. And, and you sit there and you look at this, and I've heard this over and over and over again from families that I've worked with for many years. It's not easy to see a portfolio drop by 25000 in a day or $50,000 in a day because you immediately, and I still think about this, my goodness, when I first started working, that's how much I made in an entire year. And that just, that value changed in a given day. And we all know, of course, it hurts more. So that our emotions around losing money are, are multiplied. They're a two, three X multiple of what relative to when we make money. So the pain of loss is two to three times worse than the joy of gain. We we found that study a few years ago, didn't we? Who was that by? There, there are multiple psychologists that have, have done that study here. With, if you think about this, in behavioral finance, one of the keys to understanding behavioral finance is understanding your emotions around money. The 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 joy of making money is less impactful than the the emotional pain of seeing values drop. So let's couple that with knowing that long-term, we're probably best off in stocks. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody has the stomach emotionally to have a portfolio that's 100% in stocks, right? Likely over the long run, everything historically always points to if you're going to invest for a really long period of time, let's call it 10 years or more, there's an ultra high likelihood that stocks should be, and we're looking at just general markets here, S&P 500, should be your best bet long-term. Well, then why don't people just invest in all equities or all stocks? Well, it's because of this emotional pain, volatility, having to deal with that part of the equation makes it very difficult for people to stay invested. And what happens there, we get this behavior that says, I thought I wanted to be 100% in stocks, but I can't sit in the emotional pain to be in 100% in equities. Therefore, I'm going to sell out. 
And then we're going to get back in when stocks are, are at a better point. And invariably, investors do start chasing their tail and they end up with poor results over time. So what's there's a couple of solutions to that. One is to have a balanced portfolio so that we don't have everything in the stock market because we don't want all of our assets emotionally to be fully subject to the whims of the market at any given time. So it can really help us give us perspective and think, well, only 60% of my portfolio for retirement is in equities. The other 40% is in something safe and stable that doesn't move a lot. Let's call that the bond or fixed income side of the equation. And often that balance keeps us emotionally in check and keeps us in the game. And that's why, even though historically all signs point towards having 100% in equities, a balanced portfolio has become a very popular way to invest because it, it keeps us emotionally healthy and allows us to stay invested at least for a large part of our portfolio. And we ultimately can enjoy the returns that that provides over time. So it's a kind of a happy medium. Let's, let's, let's blend the two. That being said, it still is a difficult proposition to invest and have large amounts of money invested that are now supposed to support you once you stop working, right? You stop working, your wage income dries up, and now you've got to depend on all these other things. Likely, you'll have a decent amount of Social Security. You may have a pension. And then, of course, you'll have other assets that should start generating income in retirement, which brings me to number two, Elixir, and the focus of today, why we've I've fallen in love with dividends over time. It's another version, it's another answer to being able to stay invested. So if I can focus in on the dividends or the cash flow that I'm getting from my investment portfolio, that in itself tends to be highly stable highly predictable. Think of it as a steady drip or a steady flow from a faucet that quietly continues to accumulate over time. That stays very stable if we're really just looking at dividends. And when I'm thinking about this, the example we're going to give today is just with the S&P 500. So I'm not even saying focusing in particularly on dividend stocks, but even if you look at the general market, we can get a really good sense of how dividends work just by looking at the S&P 500 and the cash flow you get from stocks that pay dividends. So when investing starts to get emotional, one valuable tactic as an investor to control your emotional and investor behavior is to focus in on areas of the, of the larger picture, your investments that are stable. And that's when we can start looking at the stability of dividend income. It's very easy to get caught up in values and the Dow up or down on any given day, which leads to heightened emotions. But if we can train ourselves as investors to look at the steady cash flow we're getting from stocks, whether you're looking at just the general market S&P 500 or you're focusing in specifically on dividend paying companies with higher overall percentage yields than the general market, it's a great way to find steadiness or stability in an otherwise very choppy environment. Now, dividends get ignored. And in a minute, I'm going to tell a story of why I think they get so ignored. It's something I learned uh, on a walk with one of my kids. If it weren't for my kids, I don't, I don't think I'd have any investment parallels or parables or analogies to money. But luckily, our children point things out to us that I think teach us some of the fundamentals around why investing can be so tough. Yep. But first, 
producer Mallory here as we are on this. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know if I knew that this was such a uh, an important holiday for you. Oh, it's. Uh, I feel like important is kind of a strong word, but I guess I guess part of the reason that I like it too is it's like. It's another reason that I also love uh, July 4th. It's a low pressure holiday. It's not Thanksgiving. It's not Christmas. There's not a ton of planning and coordination with others. It's just sort of like, you know what? Let's get together, have a good time and like celebrate something fun. Yeah, that's a good point. It is a low, it is a low pressure holiday. That's a really good, you got high pressure and low pressure holidays. Valentine's Day should be low pressure. Should be, unless maybe you're in the middle of budding love and you're very nervous to keep things on track, then it can be high pressure, but That's true. I would agree. For the most part, <laughs> it's a low pressure holiday. Let's talk about wealth just for a minute here in America. Charles Schwab every year does their modern wealth survey. And there's new numbers out for what it takes to be wealthy in America, or at least what Americans think it takes to be wealthy. So this is seems like this is an opinion. So they, they survey a thousand adults, a thousand adults nationally representative of the U.S. population. They're age 21 to 75 years old to qualify. And then an additional 200, so it's really 1,200 people, an additional 200 people from the Gen Z category. Oh. The younger folks weighing in on this as well. I feel like you always hear about the Gen Z folks kind of like skewing results on things. They, they are very... Um, I'm not going to hate on them. I'm a millennial, right? Like I, I get generational hate. <laughs> I think we're often the scapegoats for a lot of people, but it is entertaining to watch how different the Gen Z folks are coming in and how strongly they hold different opinions. I think I think there, there's a lot that like we can take away from that, but I also think it's kind of good that they pulled them, as, like not pulled them aside, but but included them very specifically within this. I'm interested to hear what their take is on this. Full disclosure, I am affiliated with Capital Investment Advisors, which is a full service and a fee-only financial planning and investment management firm in Atlanta and Denver and Tampa and Phoenix or wherever you are. And if you'd like to take your retirement planning or retire sooner journey to the next level, Capital Investment Advisors would love to help. You can find our team and schedule a time to chat Right at yourwealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R wealth.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The question we're going to answer here in just a minute on what does it take to be wealthy and then what does it take to be financially comfortable? Before we do that, though, just a couple, I think, interesting statistics around money. Almost six in 10 American workers would accept a lower salary to work at a company that better represents their personal values and interests. Wow. Now, hang on, hang on. What is that stat again? One more time. Almost, let's call it 60% of folks wow. would, would change jobs to work at a company, even if it's lower money, so a lower yeah. salary, if the company better re represents what they believe in, their, I, their personal values. I actually, I kind of, I love that. It's I feel inspiring. like it, it speaks to like the moral fortitude of Americans. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I wonder what that number would have been back in, let's call it the 1950s. I, I would suspect that back then, as my kids would say, back in the olden days, that you're you're really just you're working and your primary goal is like I've just got to provide for the family. I'm not worried about you know, maybe this company isn't the perfect company. Maybe they're they're doing something that 
I don't love completely, but it's a job and you're going to work for it. Whereas today we're maybe more in tune with the mission of our companies and what they're really doing for society. And it, it makes sense to me. 60% of people say, look, I, I want to work for a company that I believe in and is doing something of value to the community and the world. And I think that that's a good sign. And, and I bet you that continues to go up over that percentage continues to rise. This is also interesting. We're talking about wealth. This next question answers this. What does money mean to you? So this oh. is a, what, what is it? This is interesting. And this answered this question, which of the following words or phrases best describes what your money means to you? All right, four on the list, and we'll go up to number one. Number four on the list, achievement. Which makes sense. That that makes a lot of sense to me. It's very easy to, you know, in school you're graded, you know, and then like after you graduate, you really don't have anybody to like tell you if you're doing well or not. And like, but financially, like it's a quick way to say like, all right, here's where I am on track with life. It's it's a quick That's way to true. say. That's true. We are graded at, at a very young age and then it just stops after college. And then it makes sense that money is a little bit of a scorecard for people. So that's number four on the list. It means achievement to folks. Number three on the list, opportunity. Oh, I like that one. Opportunity, which is a really, that seems like a broad word to me. Opportunity can mean a lot of things. Number two, and I think these two, I would almost put these two in the, in the same category. Number two on this list is flexibility. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Those do really go hand in I, hand. I would almost put those two together. So yeah. it's almost, it's about 20% each. So really- for 40% of America, if I'm interpreting this, it's really about flexibility, opportunity. And then you can, number one on the list, you could also just add this to the, the tally is, of course, you want to guess what it is? Freedom? Yes. Ah, freedom. 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 Number one on the list. 42% of people. Love. That's the number one thing that the money means to them. It means freedom. So really, to me, you've got to really add all these together. And the way I look at this is this is a nice way of quantifying that 80% of people look at money as, as freedom, flexibility, opportunity. Put the top three together. It's freedom, flexibility, opportunity. Really, I think a good way to describe money in general. Now, question, what does it take? Again, this is according to, I have, I have two things for you. One, one is this, this survey, this is the Charles Schwab Modern Wealth Survey, the, the latest update to it, where you're asking 1,200 people what wealthy is. What does, it, how, what does it take to, quote, be wealthy? So this sounds very subjective to me. In fact, here's the exact question. At what level of personal net worth would you say a person in your area would be considered wealthy? Oh, great question. And then the same question on financially comfortable. Oh, which are, that is two different things. The, here, This is also interesting. The, the numbers have changed over the years pretty significantly. So in 2018, the number to be wealthy, this is all, this is a long time ago, 2018, 2.4 million. Oof. It dropped in 2021 to 1.9 million. I think part of that probably reflected the, the difficulties of the pandemic. That makes sense. And then here in 2022, what does it take to be wealthy? Now we're, well, Numbers from 2022 that just were released here in 2023, 2.2 .2 million. That's the new level of what Americans think. Hey, you, your net worth, this is net worth. It's not income. It's is not what you have necessarily in your portfolio. It's the collection of what's your overall net worth. So it's your real estate. It's your cash. It's your 401k, retirement accounts, regular accounts. $2.2 .2 million to be considered wealthy, according to other Americans. 
How about financially comfortable? Now, you want to guess on that one? Ooh, let me let me guess on this one. And I will say, just just to take a step back, because like wealthy to define the difference between wealthy versus financially comfortable, comfortable. I feel like you know, like if you're wealthy, I'm imagining those are the folks who are going out and have like the beautiful, beautiful homes and like probably go shopping and don't worry about what's on the receipt. And whereas like financially comfortable, I kind of envision I, the middle class is so broad these days and like under so much scrutiny. It's more like just somebody who's created a lifestyle that they can comfortably support is almost more so how I would define that. So with that in mind, I think, and knowing that 2.2 is wealthy, because that sounds like so much. <laughs> and it also doesn't at the same time, which is really confusing. But, but to That's be- a really good point. It sounds like a lot, but it also may not sound like enough. Yeah. like it's- To be fully retired, to be fully well. Are you really wealthy at 2.2 million? Yeah. It's like, it's almost like if you're going to be wealthy, it should be like 5 million and just like extravagant. And then, but then, you know, 2.2 sounds so far. <laughs> I got a ways to go before I'm there, but um, long ways. But uh, but so comfortable. What is financially it? comfortable? I'm gonna guess, and this is your net worth. Total net worth. Total net worth. Okay, I'm gonna guess five hundred thousand. All right. So this is an interesting number. It's it's seven hundred seventy four thousand is okay. what comes out on this well survey for for the year 2022. The it looks like the this dropped all the way down to a little over six hundred thousand back in 2021. So again, pandemic. Mm-hmm. I feel like people really reevaluated things in, in 2020. In 2018, the financially comfortable was, was 1.4 million. So it's interesting oh. that it's the perception of what's comfortable now is in the 774 range. And that number does tie though with, we think about what are the happy retiree statistics? So what are a couple of financial checkpoints? We want to have multiple streams of income. We want to pay off our mortgage. And three, some sort of, liquid net worth that can then give you cushion and generate income. And we know that number to be around 875,000 for the happy retiree category as, as the, as the average. Now the, the median number is a little lower than that. We, we still, I still look at that median checkpoint to go from the unhappy group to the happy group. Again, just statistically is still 500,000 because it does afford a certain amount of income every single year in addition to social security and other income streams. And it, it can get people, if you don't have a mortgage, to a relatively comfortable place. But it's interesting that this ties to, the 774,000 ties to the happy retiree mean or average. But let's look at the statistics overall. And this is data according to WealthX, which is a data company to be in the top 1% of net worth in the United States for last year, what would you guess that number to be? Oh, the top 1% for net worth? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm going to, was that a million? Okay, the top 1% net worth is 10.8 million. Oh, <laughs> 10.8 million. <laughs> That's much larger than I was thinking. 10.8 million. Okay. The top, to be in the top 2% of net worth. That I'm going to go ahead and guess is eight million, two and a half million. So oh, it's a big drop off it. from the. I guess the, that makes sense because you probably got those people like you know like the hundred billions of dollars versus the. T- I think the top one okay. percent uh, exactly. You've okay. got some huge numbers in there: the Bezos and Buffett and Gates of the world that Elon Musk and, and it probably skews that number. But again, top one percent net worth is just shy of eleven million, but. Two and a half million still lands you. Again, this number ties back to what Americans are pretty right about this. 
they say in the survey, 2.2 million to be wealthy. And that's about right. Two and a half million, according to WealthX, to be in the top 2%, which again, you're, you're wealthier than 98% of Americans. That sounds- well, that's, that's pretty dang good. That's in the wealthy category. <laughs> top 5% is right at a million, just okay, a little over a million okay. on total net worth. But to land in the top 10% is 855,000. Oh. So again, people- I think people's intuition in the survey is pretty spot on. Yeah. Clo they, they, what, what Americans have said is you, you want to get to a little over three quarters of a million, then you're financially comfortable. And oh, by the way, that does land you almost, not quite, but almost in the top 10% of overall net worth. Wow. Now I realize all these numbers, they can sound intimidating. To Mallory's point earlier, in some respect, these numbers seem really difficult and unattainable. And guess what? It's true because only one or 2% of people get to this place. So yes, you're right. At the same time, you start thinking, is that going to be enough for my early retirement? Well, it should be. It certainly should be. But I, I think the, the other message here is if you're younger listening to this podcast, you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and you feel like you have a long way to go, it's totally normal and it's okay. And these numbers can seem unattainable. You've got financial folks that'll say you need a minimum of 5 million to be able to retire. I don't feel like we need to get all the way to that point. I think there's a lot of space and more attainable levels. Hence our happy retiree averages, but it's still a long road to climb. It's still a long journey and it's still a difficult one to get to. So don't be discouraged in your 30s and your 40s. I've seen people on very modest salaries still get to these numbers. And it, and it comes to diligence, it comes to saving. And then more importantly, it comes to not just saving, but investing so that your money really is working for you, which leads us to topic of the day, dividends. So first of all, what is a dividend? I guess I would describe this pretty simply as just a, a distribution from a company to a shareholder. That's it, that's all it is. Usually paid out quarterly, and it's in the form of cash. Now, they're not mailing you dollar bills, but if you own shares in a brokerage account, you're going to get a cash infusion to the brokerage account. Usually, it goes right into the money market. It's, it's actual cash coming into you as a shareholder. It's measured not, we, we look at uh, dividends as a percentage yield, but really, it's a dollar and cents per share. So, a dollar 22 per share per share. So, if I have 100 shares, of a company and the company's paying out a dollar per share. I know I should be getting, again, if things go well and the company's able to continue, a hundred bucks a year. Whether it's at $10 or $20 or $30 isn't as important as the amount per share. Now, if I do simple math here of a hundred shares and the company is at $20 per share, that means my hundred shares would be around $2,000. If I'm getting a hundred bucks a year, I can find my dividend yield by just dividing my payment, 100 bucks, divided by the value, 2,000. That would be a 5% dividend yield. That makes sense. So, but you got to tell me, who is it that decides how much they're going to be paying out to shareholders? It's technically, it is up to the board of directors to approve a dividend, but then that's going to go back to the CEO and the CFO. And they're going to, they're going to look at this and say, okay, remember, one of my favorite phrases about dividends is this, dividends don't lie. When you think about earnings, you get earnings reports every quarter and it's so-and-so company made 32 cents a share. There's all sorts of accounting that goes into that. One-time purchases, amortization, pre-taxes, post-taxes. 
So earnings or profits from a company can be, manipulate is probably the wrong word, but they can be manipulated or they can look really good if they're bad. They can look better than what they really are due to all the accounting that goes into it. But a dividend is pretty simple. In the end, is it is a amount per share. They don't, again, dividends don't lie. You either get the cash in a dividend payment or you don't. So there's no, there's no, there's really no in between. So it's, I would say dividends are more straightforward than looking at company earnings to some extent. That's really interesting. Is that why like the dividend aristocrats that we always talk about, right? Like those stocks that like have consistently paid out dividends for years and years are like so valuable to so many people because they've consistently shown well, company. The, the question is, I think you're asking is why would a company do it? Yeah, actually, really? Yes. Why are you paying money out to people? Yeah. Well, what's the motivation? Well, we think about, and you, and you hear these blowout earnings numbers. You, I always think, where does that, so the XYZ oil company made $5 billion. Who gets the, where does the 5 billion go? Have you ever thought of that? Yeah. Hey, well, I mean, yeah, but. Who yeah, gets the 5 billion? Go? I guess maybe I haven't really questioned where, where that. Yeah. Mean, what's so, happening with it? Oil company, ABC, made $5 billion this quarter. Where does it go? You always just sort of assume it goes to the top. I don't know. Like, you, you, there's really, like, never a clear answer. So you think about this. So the company itself brings in the cash, and they've paid everybody, and they've got, this is their earnings. So the company balance sheet grows. The value of the company has gotten bigger. It's in cash, right? Now the company can spend it, or they can use a portion of it. And this is what typically happens with dividend-paying companies. A portion of that cash gets paid out in the form of a dividend. So that part of that $5 billion can then get distributed to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of shareholders. And that's where a big chunk of profits can go. And that would be, so a dividend-paying company is choosing not to take all of their profits and try to grow even faster. They're choosing to say, we want to reward our shareholders for holding this, for holding us as a stock, for holding our shares. And that's when you start to get into this dividend relationship with the company. Hey, well, the company I own let's say, has had this track record of paying me for 10 years solid or 20 years, and they've increased the dividend every year, I become more tied as a shareholder to that company. And I expect them now to, con to share in their earnings and their profits with me as a shareholder. And that's, that's one of the main reasons you would own a dividend-paying company, number one. Number two, it also can be a real sign of stability sign of economic strength for a company to be able to pay out the dividend. Oh, now, so let me ask this. If that's the case, is is the motivation then for the company so that they can like go and borrow cash as needed or like what, again, I guess it comes back to like, why would they not just want to reinvest in themselves? Two different kinds of companies. So we've talked a lot about this. If you were to look at the, the stock world, you could, you could divide it into 30 pies, 100 different slices. But if you were just to divide it into two, you would have growth-oriented companies and, and value or dividend-oriented companies. Those are the two big dinosaurs at Jurassic Park. The growth side of the equation, those companies don't really care about paying a dividend. They are looking to grow at 20 30% a year. And in a lot of cases, they're taking all their profits and they're reinvesting all of it to grow even faster. And you own those companies for the appreciation of the stock price. On the dividend or value side of the, of the stock market, you are looking for something a little bit different. You're, you're, you're typically owning more mature companies. So a company that's been around for 50 years probably isn't growing as fast as a company that's been around 15. You're looking at a company that has 
really, let's say, steady earnings growing at 5 to 8% a year. And you're okay with that because you're also getting some return in any given year from the company and their profits. So they're inherently growing a little slower. They're not taking every penny to grow. They're, let's call it a happy medium. We want to keep our shareholders happy and grow at a modest pace. Okay. Okay. Now, okay. And then one more thing, stock buybacks. Is this related? This is a great debate in on Wall Street and in Washington. And a stock buyback is almost a form of a dividend. So a stock buyback, a company gets a bunch of profit and instead of paying it out, they're going to buy back their stock, which can, in its in its own right, in another way, be beneficial to shareholders. Think about it, you've got this big buyer out there with billions of dollars, let's say, in profits, and they're buying up more stock. As a company buys up more stock, they're reducing the overall share count, so it, it increases the earnings per share. And it can be, it can be, and, and there's no absolutes in investing at all, but it can be beneficial to shareholders. So it's another version of a dividend, but it it's not cash in your account. And a dividend is actual cash that shows up typically every quarter from a dividend paying company into your account. And that's why people tend to fall in love with dividends. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is exactly why I love having you here because you're probably asking the same questions that our listeners are asking that I might just take for granted. So it's a really good insight of, wait, why, why is the company doing this? I've tried to answer that at least in some respect. They don't get, dividends in general don't get a lot of press, if you will, because they're not all that interesting. I, I think of the story about Jake, or I can't even remember. I think it's Jake. Maybe it's Luke. One of the one of the kids were on a walk many several years ago, and we're walking Josie. May she rest in peace. And we're. I remember there being on the sidewalk. There was one of these. I think it was like a Sacagawea silver dollar. Or when they when they were more popular and they were out, there was a dollar coin on the ground and there was a penny on the ground. And Jake looked at it, and and this is a little kid, so I don't know, he was probably seven at the time. Picked up the Sacagawea dollar and left the penny on the ground. And I thought, well, why wouldn't you pick up both? And the seven-year-old said, well, that's really not worth anything. It's just a penny. It's a seven-year-old. He didn't know. But he knew enough to think that that doesn't really, in whatever, twenty twenty, the year 2020, it doesn't buy you really anything. You really can't get anything for a penny, particularly now with all the inflation we've had. And guess what? Dividends are denominated very much in cents, as in C-E-N-T-S, cents, little C with a line through it. So they inherently don't get a lot of love. It's like not uncommon, 32 cents a share. So, okay, so what? Dividend increased from 32 to 34 cents. Okay, great. It just doesn't get a lot of momentum. It doesn't get any headlines. But imagine if you have 
5,000 shares of a dividend-paying company that pays 32 cents, big whoop, per quarter. Typically, you hear about what a company did for the quarter. So even if a company's paying a dollar, it still shows up as 25 cents. Big whoop, right? So let's, in fact, let's use that as an analogy. Company's paying a dollar a share. That means they're paying 25 cents a quarter. You have 5,000 shares of that company. You're going to get $5,000 a year in cash flow. Okay. Or $1,250 per quarter. So just in general, because dividends are divided into four quarters, they're denominated in cents, they just don't sound like a lot. But think of it as almost one or two buffaloes, not a big deal. Think about a herd of a thousand buffaloes. Now you've got a force of nature and you get a herd of buffaloes coming down the mountain. You don't want to stand in its way. It can can move the earth. And that's exactly how I think of dividends. They are one or two cents, not a big deal, but spread that out over an entire Wyoming Valley and it can be really, really powerful for retirement. Here's another reason dividends don't get love, not just from my kids, but imagine you've got a company paying 25 cents per quarter of the year and they raise the dividend to 27, two cents. Again, big whoop gets left on the ground. But two cents on 25 cents is actually 8%. It takes your dividend from a dollar a year to a dollar eight per year. It's an 8% rise in the dividend. Imagine your income going up by 8% per year. Guess what? Over the course of the last 50 years, dividends on average have grown at about 6% per year. It's just very understated, but very powerful over time. So the pennies add up. The pennies can really add up. In fact, we're going to look at what dividends were, total dividends paid out over the last 20 years or so. If we go back to, call it the year 2000, total dividends, S&P 500 paid out, collectively up 500 companies paying out to shareholders, paid out, let's call it a little less than $150 billion. Oh, wow. Okay, big, big, that's, These are big numbers. Big a lot numbers. of pennies. Yeah, that's a lot of pennies. By the year 2020, so call it 20 years later, Companies collectively were paying out around $450 billion. Then we went through a multi-year pandemic. And what happened in the year 2022? Guess what? S&P 500 companies paid out $563 billion. If you were to look at a chart of the total amount paid out by the, the market itself, it is this just very steady uptrend, little by little by little, 150 billion in dividends turned into 500 plus billion in dividends. These are companies sharing the profits back to shareholders. So one, we get this powerful force of pennies that really add up into kind of this tidal wave or one Buffalo ends up at a thousand Buffalo and it's just a giant herd and it can be really powerful. However you want to look at it, whether it's pennies in a tidal wave or Buffalo in a field. I think I'm watching too much Yellowstone. But now let's look at stock dividends versus bond interest. Now, I will say for many over the last, call it 10 years, bonds didn't pay out a lot because interest rates were so low. Bonds had a rough year back in 2022, but we're back, we're, we're back to a point now that the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates over and over and over and over again. Now bond yields are paying out something relatively significant. Now you can get four, four and a half percent pretty easily in just government bonds. So you think about how do I get income to do bonds or stocks? So typically, again, as we talked about early in this episode, 
For most people, balance is our friend. Balance is a key. Stock side, bond side. And you can get income from both. We get interest income from bonds. We get dividend income from stocks. But if you were just to compare the two side by side and look at, if I want to generate income and I were to just choose one or the other, let's take a look and compare the two. Stock dividend income versus bond interest income. And we'll start back in 1980. Back then, remember 1980, interest rates were super high. So you could get 10, 11% on bonds back then. So we, the S&P 500 dividend was paying about five and a quarter percent. So it was, it was high, that was high. Bond interest was high. A lot of income back in 1980, in, in the year 1980. So imagine you take $10,000 and you put it in the S&P 500, and then you take $10,000 and you put it in the aggregate bond index. Well, what did you get that first year in cash flow? Well, you got about 529 bucks. So call it a little over five and a quarter percent in stock dividends. In bond interest, you got about 1100 bucks. So the aggregate bond index paying about 11%. So you may have said, I want income, I'm going to stick with bonds. Well, here's what happened though over time. 43 years later, and we're looking at the year end 2022 now, the dividend income on the stock side, again, went from 529 bucks on that original 10,000 in value to a little over $6,100. So now you're getting over $6,000 a year. You originally put in 10,000. So you're getting a 61% annual yield on your original investment. We call that yield at cost. I'm getting my yield today versus what I put in in the very beginning. And that's because over that stretch of time, stock dividends grew at about 6% per year. And it just slowly, methodically became a big number. During that same period of time, inflation grew at about 3%, meaning that stock dividends, so the, the income you get, this is just the S&P 500, doubled the rate of inflation. Talk about protecting your purchasing power. Talk about having the income just from the market outpace inflation. Now, don't forget the original investment grew as well. If you had invested that 10,000 in the S&P 500 in 1980, it would have, it would have grown to a little over $350,000. So the stock price went up from 10,000 to 355. That's not even incorporating the dividend income that you received every year. So that's the price only return. 10K to 355,000, that's about an 8.7% rate of return in price. Put in another th about 3% per year in annual dividends, you get a re total return of about 11.7%. On the other hand, the $10,000 investment in the bond index went from 10,000 to about 14,000 over that period of time. And as of last year, only paid about 288 bucks or 2.8% on the original investment. Versus, again, remember, stocks, 61% on your original investment. We're just talking income here. People think of stocks as all about growth, 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 appreciation, appreciation. The real power I see in equities that, again, doesn't get talked about, and this is why we love dividends, is the income itself is tremendously impactful and so important to protect purchasing power when you stop working. So it's pretty clear, income from stock dividends, I'm just talking the income here, easily outpaced bond interest. Annual stock dividend income increased about 11 and a half X 
And the remaining price only return grew about 35 times, 10 to 355. On the other hand, bonds rose less than one and a half times in price and actually had a reduction in income. Remember that first year was over $1,100 in interest payments, went down to 288 bucks. So it was, a, it was a decrease of 75% in income. The story is really clear here. Not saying 100% stocks is for everyone. It takes a lot of stomach to deal with the peaks and the valleys over time. It can help. It can help focusing in on the steady piece of the equation, which is the amount of income coming in. And just looking at the S&P 500, that income has grown at about 6% per year. Powerful. So what's the verdict? Dividends are, are a very powerful wealth-building source that should not be ignored. And it's okay here at Valentine's Day week for you to fall in love with dividends. Low-pressure holiday, Mallory. I, I mean, I, I think this yeah. has convinced me. I think I've fallen in love <laughs> with dividends. <laughs> fallen in love. Hopefully you're in love with the Retire Sooner podcast. If you made it this far, you probably don't hate it. And if you don't hate it, would love a review on some sort of platform, whether it's Apple or Samsung or wherever you listen to the Retire Sooner podcast. Spotify. We would love to get some stars and some reviews. So thank you for that. And thanks for, for listening. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.